Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing that's just feeding your greed. Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it. recording i think so are we live <laughs> uh yeah i hope so hey everybody uh my name is joshua fields milburn and i'm ryan nicodemus and together we are the minimalists welcome to a special edition of ask the minimalist live we're here to answer your questions so if you have questions now's a good time to start typing them out uh, our our good friend and colleague podcast sean is over on the other side of the room and he is he is uh, furiously writing down your questions and aggregating them, and he's going to curate a nice list. And what we're going to do is do our best to to give you pithy answers to to all of your questions. So, Sean, uh, go ahead and start taking down those questions if you don't mind. And in the meantime, Ryan will do his tap dancing routine. Yes. Uh, what have you been up to lately, man? You went to L.A. recently, right? I did go to L.A. recently. It was outstanding. We're, we're both back here in. Uh, Missoula, Montana right now. Ryan, you were just in Florida, just got back. Uh, I was in Dayton and L.A., and I tried to go to Florida with you, but then my plane was canceled due to weather, and there's a lot of snow in Montana right now. And so instead, I spent Christmas, spent the holidays here with Bex, and um, we, we had a, a low-key Christmas. Listened to a lot of Tribe Called Quest and, and uh, didn't do much but hang around the house and enjoy each other's company. Well, that's nice. Indeed it I'll is. I'll tell you, man, when we were landing um, in Missoula from – we were flying from Salt Lake City on our trip back from, from Tampa, Florida. Uh, that runway was like – it wasn't covered in snow, but it had snow on it. And I'm like – how like how in the world can you land an airplane with a little bit? Sure enough, man, here I am. I'm like there was no mishaps, but it was it was pretty crazy. Sean, do we have any questions that are ready for us? Yes, actually, quite a few. So uh, here's one: How can a minimalist life affect a healthy mental state? Ooh, how can a minimalist life? affect a healthy mental state. Well, let's start by talking about what minimalism is. Minimalism has to do with getting rid of the excess stuff in our lives. That's really the initial bite at the apple because we believe that your material possessions are a physical manifestation of what's going on inside you. So if you have a lot of external clutter, then it's likely that you have a lot of internal clutter. We can call that emotional clutter. We can call it spiritual clutter. We can call that mental clutter. But it's all stuff that's going on inside. So by being able to deal with what's going on outside, it helps us be more aware of, of that internal clutter and start to be able to deal with that once we've let go of that which is, is superfluous externally. And uh, I like to think of uh, dealing with the external clutter allows us to deal with the internal clutter so long term we can deal with the eternal clutter the the sort of existential clutter of our lives yeah i think for me man minimalism helps me with that impulse it's like i will see the new iphone or i'll see uh you know um a new tv or a new car like you know i still got the 2004 toyota corolla Mm -hmm. we call it the tour bus yes yes and Dude, this winter has just been miserable with it. Like, uh-huh. it's the first winter I've been driving this car. Uh, well, I'm sorry. <clears throat> it's the fourth winter that I've been driving into Missoula. It's the first time that I have, like, really just felt like, oh, my God, I need to get a four-wheel drive vehicle. Uh-huh. So I actually started, like, pricing out 
um, you know, some like raw fours and, you know, some other like fairly reasonably priced um, four by fours. And at the end of the day, like I'm looking at, you know, spending tens, not tens of thousands of dollars, but 10,000 bucks, let's say. Um, you know, I, I might be able to put $5,000 down on it and then have like a $5,000 loan, uh-huh. but I don't want to like, you know, minimalism helps me, it helps me stop and think like, do I want to have that? Even if it's just a hundred dollar payment a month, uh-huh. like, do I want to be beholden to that $100 payment a month for the next five years? Right. So, you know, instead of like going out and getting uh, a, a, a brand new four by four, I went out and I spent um, 500 bucks on some snow tires and they don't, they're not perfect. Like as you saw me get out of the out of the parking lot the other day, um, but that was like that's the only trouble I've had with them. Sure. So it's like you know it, it's these little one offs where I had trouble and yeah sure and like yeah if I had a four by four I'd just be able to like go up and over everything and be fine. Not always though. I mean if people go back to uh, if you, if you, for those of you so we're by the way for everyone who's listening I don't know what platform you're on we're we're on YouTube Live right now and we're answering questions on on YouTube Live. We'll also answer some questions from our, our social media feeds, whether it's uh, Twitter and Instagram at The Minimalist or Facebook.com slash The Minimalist. We'll have uh, answers for questions from there as well. But um, if those of you who listen to our podcast, you, you can go back to the holiday episode we did. And I have a, a four-wheel drive vehicle. I have a, a Toyota 4Runner. Uh, and I have it specifically because we live in Montana. If I lived in Los Angeles, I, I wouldn't have the, the same vehicle, I don't think. It, it makes sense to have here. But, but the point being is I, you, can still, you, you can still get hurt. Yes. I, I mean, you hit ice. It doesn't matter what you're driving in. Once you hit ice. It's going to slide. Yeah. Yeah, but, you know, like being able to stop and really de- deliberate whether or not this 4x4 is going to add uh, more value than that, you know, the $100 I would save a month. It, it helps me, yeah, it helped me to choose the snow tires and said, but I guess what I'm really getting at is, is like anytime we take on a monthly payment, mm-hmm. that's going to fill up mental space. Mm-hmm. So yeah, certainly um, if we make good decisions with all of our resources, you know, we're t- I'm talking about money right now, but you know, even with our time and our attention. Mm. Um, yeah, those, I think people forsake those as resources because they think it's, yeah, this infinite, we all you know, have time, we all have attention, but it's your most precious resource when mm-hmm. you really think about it. Yeah. So, like, just being able to ask those questions and, and kind of stop uh, myself from just acting on the impulse and really getting down to that that question that we always talk about, man, mm-hmm. is this going to add value to your life? Um, it keeps that mental space freed up and certainly uh, keeps me, you know, more stress-free. I mean... Uh, yeah, like the the Ryan Nicodemus of yesteryear would have just like went and got a loan because I don't have a payment right now. So uh-huh. like the twenty five year old Ryan Nicodemus would have he been needed like, a payment. I don't have a payment. I got plenty of room for payments in my life. So uh, yeah, certainly minimalism does help clear the mind. But you know, not just with with financial uh, aspects, but uh, uh, even meditation. Like that's a very mindful practice. Um, I wish I could say that we invented meditation, uh, but that's been around forever. It's certainly a simple approach to clearing clearing uh, the mental clutter. But yeah, I mean, that certainly helps a lot too. Yeah, for sure. And uh, in our documentary, so, so for those of you who haven't seen it yet, our film is called Minimalism, a documentary about the important things. It just came out on Netflix. And so a lot of you have seen it on Netflix. Or if you don't have Netflix, you can see it on iTunes or worldwide on Vimeo. You can check it out there. There's a whole mindfulness section in there. We have uh, Sam Harris and Dan Harris, both of whom are not related to each other, but both of whom wrote really great books about clearing mental clutter. Dan Harris's book is probably my favorite book on the subject because it's very approachable. It's, uh, it's called 10% Happier. And I think the subtitle is 
a fidgety skeptic's guide to meditation or mindfulness yeah. or whatever. But it's a whole sort of memoir, and it's very well it's really written. Good. So 10% Happier uh, is a and great way to do it. it takes the woo-woo out of it, man. It absolutely does. Yeah, and he has, a, he has a good podcast as well, called, also called 10% Happier. And then Sam Harris, his book Waking Up, he also has a podcast called Waking Up. And uh, another thing that I would add in there, another book that I would, I would recommend to folks is Rob Bell wrote a book called How to Be Here. Mm. And it's about what the title is. You know, how do you be present? Um, and there's this guy who sent me this. Um, it's the, the most ingenious idea. So I, I, for the longest time, never wore a watch. But ever since I've been doing all these back exercises for my back, I need a timer. So I, I have a, a, a little you know, eBay watch that I have here. And this guy sent, sent me a link. They're doing a Kickstarter campaign. I think it's called the Now Watch, mm. uh, N-O-W, I, I think is what it's called. I don't know anything about it. I'm not endorsing it necessarily, but I, I thought it was interesting. It was a watch. It's like a timepiece. It's a band and a normal watch, except you look at the face, and all it says is now. I love it. And it's always now. And it's what an you to, interesting concept, Yeah, man. so you can either be a total jerk with that, a pretentious jerk. Someone walks up. What time uh, is it? Yeah, hey, what time is it? Oh, it's right now. <laughs> You're gonna sound like you just like did drugs or something. I know, right? Right. <laughs> it's right now, dude. Yeah, and so, so, but it's. A, I think it's a nice reminder if you are looking for to to retrain yourself to be be in the present moment. Remember, what time is it? It's always right now. Mm. And so, those are some good recommendations uh, good. for you to to dive into. Sean, what's our our next question? You actually have several folks that are asking, what are the plans for 2017 and when are you coming to my city? <laughs> well, first off, uh, you can always see Josh and I's tour schedule at theminimalists.com forward slash tour. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't have any upcoming stops. I don't like that. No. Not, not unless you've added something in the last couple of weeks. <laughs> no. um, we don't have any up- upcoming stops. Uh, right now, but certainly we do have some plans for 2017. Uh, we're really excited about just going out and sharing some some new ideas about some things we've been talking about. Yeah, if you're on our email list, that's the best way to stay informed of new cities we're coming to. So you just go to theminimalists.com, enter your email address at the top. We will never ever send you an advertisement. Advertisements suck. We think spam email sucks. So we'll never do that. And if you are on our email list, make sure that you go. Sometimes it'll get thrown into the spam folder or the promotions tab. Just move it over into your inbox. You do that one or two times, and it will make sure that we continue to show up in your inbox. And we'll only send you things that we think will add value to your life. So will we hit the road again? Uh, so tw- let's go back. So Ryan and I tend to focus on one thing a year, sometimes two. Uh, so, so if you go back and look at the last few years, uh, 2014, we hit the road. We donated basically 10 months of our lives. We did 119 free events in uh, 100 cities, eight mm-hmm. different countries. Uh, we brought our book called Everything That Remains. It's a memoir about the five years of our life, about the transition from, from the suit and tie corporate guys to this lifestyle of minimalism and eventually becoming the minimalist, which, by the way, that book is free right now. If you go to our website, uh, theminimalists.com slash Mary, as in Merry Christmas, that's our Christmas gift to you. You can get a free copy of Everything That Remains. And so I hope you enjoy that. I hope you find some value in it. If you do, uh, please rate it, review it, whatever, or pass it on to someone else who can get value from it. But we donated that year of our lives with those 119 free events to try to spread a message we really believe in. And then uh, 2015, it was a year of contribution. We built uh, three clean water wells in Malawi 
uh, and uh, with the help of you all, people from our audience, we, we got people to, to contribute to that as well. So we, we built three clean water wells, which provided water to 1,250 people. So thank you all if you, if you helped out with that. We also uh, built a elementary school out in Laos. And Ryan, you, you went out to, to the grand opening of that earlier this year. Uh, that was the, awesome. In, 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 interacting with all these elementary school kids, 66 of them in total. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, they had, it was like a shack pretty much before that, man. Yeah, it like, the, yeah, the old school was like, it was literally a shack uh-huh. with mud floors, mm-hmm. dirt floors. Uh, every time it rained because there were holes in the ceiling, like, it would make mud on the floor. So, like, they'd have to cancel school. Mm-hmm. And then it was two classrooms in this shack with a wall that was, like, four foot high dividing the classrooms. So, like, the teachers were constantly over talking each other it was it was unbelievable um yeah unbelievably like yeah just uh uh, a shack that's a good way to good way to describe it they may do with the resources they have but they didn't have many resources uh but uh grateful to be able to provide those resources and and contribute if if you have been with our work for a while you know ryan and i think the meaning of life is growth and contribution and so all these things we're doing we we do want to add value to other people's lives we want to contribute beyond ourselves in a meaningful way but that also helps us grow and the more we grow the, the more we have to give uh, last year we also so in addition to that we we we, we funded a, a high school for an entire year in Kenya. We uh, did an orphanage in Honduras with our, our friend Joshua Becker and the Hope Effect, which is the charity the non the nonprofit that he set up and was able to build an orphanage there in in, in Honduras. We also uh, had some domestic charities that we contributed to. And I always personally like to give to uh, organizations from GiveWell.org. The Against Malaria Foundation is where I'm currently sending as much money as I can uh, in terms of my my charitable giving. And and so you can find that at GiveWell.org. And then this year, our our main focus was, creative creative focus at least, was to get this documentary out into in front of more people and so ryan and i spent the last three years uh, with our good friend matt diavella who's a very talented director and uh, we we filmed this documentary it's called minimalism and we spent this year getting it in front of people because most of you know who, who are creators of something uh, part of the, the creative process is finishing the, the artifact that you're trying to finish, whether it's a book or a blog post or a movie or a short film or a YouTube video. You want to finish that thing. But then the second thing is how can you effectively and efficiently get that in front of more people, right? It, because that's part of the artistic process. The creative process is communication. Otherwise, it's just an expression, which is like journaling, but you want to get it in front of more people. And so we worked all year of getting this movie into in front of more people, learned a lot of of lessons had quite a few failures along the way, um, but the film came out in about 400 theaters this this summer uh, across the United States and Canada and Australia and then a couple one-off events in, in different countries. You, Ryan, you were in Ireland uh, recently to to screen the film, yeah. and, and so we we found different ways to get this message in front of people. And I'll tell you, it sounds really impressive to tell you this, and I'm proud to say that. Minimalism is the number one indie documentary of 2016 in terms of theatrical releases. It still sounds weird to me, man. It sounds really weird, but I'll tell you, that was a huge failure. And when I say that to people, they're like, what do you mean it was a failure? It's the number one indie documentary. And the reason I say that is it... It didn't reach as many people this summer in theaters because it's much harder to get people to come out to theaters and, and see the film than it is to put it up online. And what I learned from that is I would probably not do a, a wide theatrical release like no. that again. It's not the way people are viewing movies anymore, right? Yeah, because it's not as simple as like, 
great, we have a documentary, now it's out in theaters. I mean, there's a lot of backdoor work or, you know, behind-the-scene processes, so forth and so on, that, um, yeah, it just, it went about 50% smooth and 50% insane, Mm. and the most value people are getting out of it is, like Josh said, uh, the downloadable version of it, and and, and now it's on Netflix. Um, But the theatrical release, I would say, had the least impact out of everything we've done. And it's not that people didn't get value from it. People who showed up certainly did, the the vast majority. And we did a tour with that as well. So we went to 15 different cities and and did a live version of our pot uh, of the minimalist podcast and and found ways to to add value in a different way. And I really enjoyed that process. But the reason I call it a failure is it's not a real failure because we learned from it. And I'm willing to take action and change what we did so, so that going forward, I wouldn't do the same thing. It's only a failure if like we did minimalism part two and we did the same exact thing. Well, let's go to theaters again. No, we already tried that. And, and while it was successful in one sense, there are so many other people who have uh, a say in, in the decision-making process when you have a distributor and you go through all these, these other avenues. And, and Ryan and I are pretty much do-it-yourself kind of guys and, and, and relying on, on other entities to make these decisions for you makes it quite difficult. And then, of course, if they do something wrong, it makes us look bad as well. And so mm. there were times where theaters were having issues with the film or, or whatever, and we just didn't have that the same level of control that we like to have uh, of over our creation and getting it out to the world. But learning from that, we eventually put it online. We put it out on Vimeo with six hours of, of additional bonus content, which you can still find there on Vimeo, and it's available worldwide there. I would have done that much sooner because that's the other thing. If the film was in, you know, three or four or five countries in theaters, that means there's 195 other countries it's not available in right, right. now. And and so even with the Netflix release, we didn't really have any say within the Netflix release. It's available in the United States, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, the UK, and uh, Ireland. Ireland. Yeah. And... That's it on Netflix. Not our decision. If I could say make it available worldwide on Netflix, then I would encourage them to do that. But on Vimeo, it gave us the opportunity to say, okay, if it's not available in your country, here's a way you can find it still and, and, and hopefully get some value in it and pass it, on, pass it on to other folks. So learning the lesson from that, that was our, our, our year this year, was getting that out into the world. And so this is a very long answer to get to, the, to answer your question, but what's up for 2017? We are getting back to basics for the first time. Uh, we, we, Ryan and I recorded a podcast about this. It'll be out relatively soon. Uh, it's just called Basics, and there's an essay going up at our website at theminimalists.com. It's called Back to Basics as well. And we're really refocusing on creating. Now that this creation that we have is out in the world, and we have three books that are out there that are on radically different well, not different subjects, but radically different approaches. We have a how-to book, a why-to book, and a what-to book. And, and now, how do we get back to creating the things that we find most meaningful? And so we're getting back to, to our foundation, which is writing. That's the first thing. The second thing is uh, podcasting, because that's the mechanism that we still have the room for the most improvement. We're, we're growing immensely by, by doing the podcast w- with folks. And the third thing we want to do, uh, once my health, health improves, uh, for those of you who've been here for a while, know that um, I've been dealing with some health issues with, with my back, but also with my gut microbiome. I've had a, a few uh, liver and kidney issues. I won't go into detail on that. You can go back and listen to podcast number 30 if you want to hear about it. But basically, uh, we want to hit the road again. We, Ryan and I have these six simple ideas we'd like to take on the road. And instead of doing the really big crowds that we've done in the past, we want to do really intimate crowds, these intimate spaces like uh, um, 
like art spaces, galleries, and small, you know, tiny theaters. Yeah, small independent theaters, yeah. Yeah, and, and a place to where we can work out these these ideas in front of people. And so that that's our intention is to do that, uh, bring some ideas on the road. And so will we come to your city? Yeah, probably. Uh, make sure you're on our mailing list if, if you want to be kept uh, abreast of our new uh, tour dates, if and when they, they pop up. And then, of course, uh, we do speaking gigs from time to time, so if you have a an organization or a, a conference or anything that you know anyone who wants to bring The Minimalist out, you can find all the details of that at theminimalists.com slash speaking. We'd love to, to come out and present some minimalist ideas to your organization. Sean, do we have any more questions? What else we got? Uh, yes. Um, we've got a few that are kind of tied in together here. Um, some... Viewers here have tried and failed to minimize or use the con. Basically, a few have said the KonMari method. Mm-hmm. Um, so they want to know what what's the trick to making it stick? What um, how do you maintain after you've minimized? So how do you maintain minimalism mm-hmm. after you've minimized? I got one word for you, and I'll try to expand on it. That one word is leverage. You need the leverage. So, mm. so professional organizers know this really well. So you mentioned the KonMari method, uh, the, the life-changing magic of tidying up um, is the book she wrote. And, and I think quite often the, the amateurs, like me and Ryan, we're, we're total amateurs when it comes to this stuff. We have to find mechanisms to get the leverage we need because we all know how to declutter our closets, right? right. That part is easy. I know how to – now – don't get me wrong. I think many professional organizers, they have very useful tips and tricks that will help you through that how-to phase. Very rarely, though, do Ryan and I write about the how-to side of things, the, the decluttering side, because we are much more interested in the why to. So ask yourself a question. How might your life be better with less? That is a question we set out to answer when we first started simplifying our lives because it helped me identify what the benefits of minimalism are. Now, for me, it was regaining control of my finances or maybe my health or my relationships. For other people, it's about creativity. It's about spending more time with their family. It's about the environmental impact that they have. Ask yourself that question. How might my life be better with less? And you'll be surprised with the answers you get if you keep digging further down because it's not just about removing the stuff from your life. You can rent a dumpster and be miserable because you've thrown all your stuff in it, and now you've removed all the pacifiers from Mm. your life. And it's really about moving forward with the best things that augment your experience of life. Yeah, I mean, I I think the only thing I would add to that is, like, you've got to maintain good habits. I mean, that's what it comes down to. That question of, does this add value to my life? It's redundant when you ask it every single day, but it's important that you ask it every single day, every time you make a purchase, every time you go out to spend a dollar, every time you're bringing in a new relationship in your life, you've got to be able to ask that question. So um, I would say if uh, you're someone who has started these great habits and fell off, like get back on the bandwagon yeah. um, and don't do everything at once. I mean, let's say, you know, you were great at asking uh, how, you know, um, does this thing add value to my life? You're great with the 2020 rule. You're great with the 90, 90, uh, the 90, 90 rule. Um, and you can explain what those are in a second. Sure. Uh, but, you know, and then you, you're not using those rules anymore. Implement those back in your life, but do it one at a time. I mean, you know, it's, it's quite often uh, that uh, we will start some really good habits. Um, like for me, for example, uh, I've been working out regularly. I've been eating well for, you know, for the last year or so. 
Um, I have uh, just been on vacation in Florida for a week. Kind of fell off the bandwagon a little bit. When I came back, it's not like I'm going to like just hop back on every single thing, but I'm going to start working out. Like I'm just going to start there, and then I know that it will follow. And since it's been such a short gap, I know that I will pick that stuff pretty easily. Um, but I guess what my my, uh, my my advice is is yes, start with the good habits, but choose one good habit at a time, and then once you feel like you've got that under control, try to layer some other things on. Yeah, and if you have bad habits, it's not about just simply getting rid of the bad habits, but it's about replacing those bad habits mm. with good habits. And so when we think about habits, every habit that we have has a trigger. So let's think about a bad habit for a minute. Let's think about smoking. Uh, people who are smokers, they will often have instant triggers. I wake up in the morning, got to have a cigarette, right? That, that, that's the trigger. Or I just finished a great meal, now I have to have a cigarette. Or I'm going to have a cup of coffee, nothing better than a cup of coffee with a cigarette. And so there are all these triggers. Well, how can you take those same triggers instead of triggering the, that bad habit, how can you convert that into triggering a good habit? An example I will give you, uh, when I was writing Everything That Remains, uh, Ryan and I, uh, we moved into this cabin in the middle of nowhere, and we had this pull-up bar at the bottom of our stairs, and I, I would, um, every time I came downstairs for a break from writing, my, I would do six pull-ups. And, and I can do six pull-ups relatively easily. That wasn't the, the problem. The thing is, instead of just going, coming downstairs to get something to eat, which was my initial trigger, I'm going to go downstairs, I might as well raid the fridge now. Well, instead of doing that, I'm going to walk underneath this pull-up bar. I might as well go ahead and do those six pull-ups. I, I use that same trigger of coming down the stairs to start doing pull-ups. And, and pretty soon, before I knew it, I was doing 60, 80 pull-ups a day because I would do six at a time every time I came down the stairs from, from this little writing break that I was taking. And so identify what your triggers are and then figure out what bad habit you want to replace with the good habits. And I totally agree with Ryan. Start with one thing. And then you can build on top of that that foundation. You can build new, good, empowering habits that will enable you to to live a a more intentional life overall. So just to expound on the uh, 2020 rule, uh, for those of you who don't know, 2020 rule is basically you can get anything you want for less than $20 in less than 20 minutes. This is Josh and I's just-in-case rule. Our theory is is it works 99% of the time. I'm sure there's something out there you, you got to have just in case. It's worked for Josh and I uh, 100% of the time. When we lived in the cabin in the middle of nowhere, population 870, uh, that 2020 rule worked really, really well. So if you're someone who's holding on to a bunch of just-in-case items, uh, yeah, start with that rule to start getting, uh, start getting rid of stuff. Um, the 90-90 rule. Uh, basically, if you have an object you haven't used in the last 90 days, you'd be honest with yourself. Ask, you if, ask yourself if you're going to use it in the next 90 days. Uh, and the answer is no. Get rid of it. Uh, it's, it's, uh, that covers pretty much all seasons. Um, again, our theory is, is it works 99% of the time. But that's just it. It works the majority of the time. But yeah, incorporating habits like that will help you maintain. But you got to stick to those habits. It's like any other, uh, any other habits you bring into your life. Uh, like I said, with working out, like once you stop, well, then guess what? You're going to start to get unhealthy again. Yeah. And one other thing that I really uh, found empowering allowed me to to let go of many of the things I was holding on to. Uh, it's called the 10-10 material possessions theory. 
You, know, you take a piece of paper, write uh, down the 10 most expensive things you've, you've purchased in the last decade, last 10 years, and then you flip the piece of paper over and write down the 10 most meaningful experiences of the last 10 years, and then you just sort of scratch your head and wonder why none of the items on either side of the list match. And it gave me permission to let go of many of the things I, I thought you know, I had to hold on to because of sunk costs and, mm-hmm. well, it's a very expensive thing or whatever. No, I can sell it. I can do something else with it because it hasn't brought me the joy I thought it was going to bring me. Yeah. What's next, Sean? All right. We've got one here. When you're getting rid of uh, these just-in-case items, uh-huh. right? How do you combat the stress of worrying about the items that you've kept being ruined and then not having a backup? And an addendum to that, somebody else said, I, I've got hundreds of thoughts in my mind all the time that are conflicting. How do I have mindfulness? Those kind of work, I think, in, mm-hmm. together with one another. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those just-in-case thoughts <laughs> along with the just-in-case items. Yeah, so, so well, let's talk about, we'll go back to the just-in-case items again. So Ryan and I, when we on our very first tour five years ago, uh, we were, you know, we'd been the minimalist for one year. Our first book, which is called Minimalism, Live a Meaningful Life. It's about the five values we uncovered after uh, jettisoning our, our excess stuff. We, we figured out that here are the things we're supposed to, here are the five things we're supposed to focus on. We went on our first tour. We, we were down in St. Petersburg, Florida, which is where minimalism sort of started for me and, and because my, my mother was living down there when she passed away. And we got down there after simplifying our lives. Like We were the minimalists, right? And we, were dro- we drove down there in our tour bus, which is Ryan's Toyota Corolla. And we finally got down there. We popped open the trunk. And like, I'm like, what are we doing? Ryan just looks over me and goes, we're such hypocrites. <laughs> there were two suitcases full of stuff. There was a garment bag in case I needed a suit for something, apparently. And then there were two sort of carry-on bags. Now, keep in mind carry on in your car. We weren't getting on an airplane going anywhere. We were right. just carrying on in the car. So we had all this sort of superfluous stuff we packed with us. Why? Just in case. The three most dangerous words in the English language. And we realized that we had just packed so many things that we thought we might need in some hypothetical tour that we were going on. I had three pairs of swim trunks. Oh, I'm going to be in Florida. Might as well pack an extra pair of swim trunks. But what if both of them get dirty? I might as well pick my my third pair of swimming trunks. And I'm like, and then we're down there. I'm like, why do I even own three pairs of swimming trunks? That doesn't even make any sense to me. Well, the answer is just in case. Yeah. And so we made this resolution together that for the rest of the tour, uh, when we got back and we went out in these little legs, we'd go out three or four or five cities at a time. For the rest of the tour, we're not going to pack any just-in-case items. And that's where that 2020 rule came from because we thought, you know what? We can replace anything that we really need just in case for less than $20 in less than 20 minutes from wherever we are. The cool thing is that's held up 100% of the time for us. And when I got back home, it actually gave me permission to let go of tens of thousands of other items because I knew that we never really had to implement that rule. Between the two of us, over the last five years, we've had to use that rule five times total. Yeah. I'd replace a pair of scissors. I, ironically, I'd replace a pair of swimming trunks. And, and so... Um, yeah, I used to keep a just-in-case toothbrush in my toiletry bag, and uh, I forgot my toothbrush and had to go buy a, to- a toothbrush. Yeah, so yeah. There, there you go. So, fi- and, and so 
and all those things are far less than $20, I think, yes. in, in, at least in many cases. And the, the cool thing is, it's not a rule I've had to use a hundred times. It'd be a terrible rule if I've had to use the just-in-case rule a thousand times and spent $20,000 on yes. just-in-case items. No, between the two of us, we've had to spend $100 in the last five years on just-in-case items. That $100, or my, my $50 contribution, is well worth the peace of mind. So that gets back to the question. The peace of mind that we've gotten over the last five years of being willing to let go of those just-in-case items. Because truth be told... The vast majority of those just-in-case items, they are just in the way. Yeah, and you know, there's one point where I realized that, it, let's say I had 10,000 just-in-case items I was holding on to, and somehow they were like nicely, neatly organized, and I was able to justify them somehow. At the end of the day, there are an exponential amount of other items I don't have that I might need in some non-existent or existent, uh, you know, hypothetical future. And it's, it's, uh, it's really, really... Um, oh, destabilizing uh, when, when you hold on to all those things. I just remember junk drawers full of stuff, so it wasn't well organized, but I had junk drawers of all these just-in-case items. And you know, going, going back to uh, the point in that question that uh, Sean just threw at us, with the items that you hold on to in case another item breaks. So let's just do this with like a USB cable, for example. I used to have like drawers full of USB cables uh, just in case I needed them. Now, uh, if I was to hold on to just one USB cable, and let's say it broke, and I'm like, oh man, I really wish I had that old USB cable. There's probably a better model. There's, there's probably a better quality product that I can get at this point, uh, if, rather than me holding on to one that um, is 10 or 15 years old and doesn't have, you know, it's not as strong or whatever. I mean, I don't know if that's a good example or not. But, but my point is, is like if you're holding on to just-in-case items to replace something when it breaks, you're replacing it with an older model when there's, there's going to be something newer out there anyway. So uh, I would say if you have just-in-case items now, just, just don't just go throw them away and fill the landfill. Go donate them. Find someone else who can use them right now and get value out of them instead of them just sitting around your house. Yeah, I totally agree. And you know what, what I think with that is because if you let go of it, your letting go is a form of contribution. But just because you don't get value in something, that doesn't mean that someone else won't. Mm. You know, th- th- there are, are plenty of thrift shops who will reallocate your goods for you. So it's not like you have to go find, well, this USB charger that I have, I need to go find the appropriate person to give this to. No, let, let an aggregator do that for mm. you. So uh, in, in Missoula, we have something called Donation Warehouse. They even come pick stuff up for yeah. you. Uh, other places have Goodwill. Look for your, your local uh, charity organization. There's a website called Donation Town. I think it's donationtown.org. Uh, you can find uh, sort of charities that will often come pick your stuff up for you and reallocate it. Find someone else who will get value from that stuff. Sean, what do we got? We've got when you have to make purchases, mm-hmm. are you very mindful then of the, the brands that you purchase from, their sustainability, environmental uh, impact, ethics of the company? Yeah, I mean, so the question is, is when we buy something, are we uh, aware of the environmental impacts? Are we aware of the sustainability, the, the corporation's ethics uh, when, when we look towards certain brand names? Yeah, there are, there are certain brands that I avoid, um, like Walmart. I, I will go there if I absolutely have to. Um, I'll give you an example. Um, I am uh, Mariah, my partner, and I, we are helping out a refugee family. They just moved to Missoula, Montana, like less than two months ago. And they are given a very... A little bit of a stipend for food, a little bit of a stipend for, you know, other necessities. Um, Walmart happens to have, like, the cheapest produce and, like, what they needed. 
Um, so yeah, like we went there and got uh, the produce that they needed and the groceries that they needed. Um, so yes, like in those situations, I will and one-offs go or like let's say Walmart's the only thing that's open on Christmas Day and like I got to go get my insulin, you know, and it's the only place I can go get it. I mean, there are going to be these one-offs, but yeah, certainly try to um, yeah purchase responsibly. I think. I think that the way we vote now is with our dollar. That's like the strongest vote we have. And, uh, yeah, certainly um, I will avoid places that don't have good ethics. Um, I'm trying to think what else uh, do I avoid or that I go out of my way to, to purchase. Um, well, you know, I think it's interesting with, with the – so being a minimalist, the, the first thing you notice is that if you consume less, not only do you produce less waste, but – and this, this is – Tautological a little bit. If you consume less, you actually buy less. Mm. You're, you're <laughs> buying fewer things, right? And and so if I if I am going to make a purchase because I'm buying far fewer things than I did once upon a time, those those purchases are inherently more intentional because I don't want to have to repurchase the thing six months from now, a year from now because it was poor quality or, or whatever. And so when I do bring something into my life, it is with a lot more intention than I ever did before. And so, Ryan, you mentioned a question earlier about does this thing add value to my life? Now, when I first started embracing minimalism, I asked that question a lot. In fact, I asked it so frequently, it became less of an intellectual exercise and more of this emotion that I got, this emotional uh, exercise Mm -hmm. of, you know what, does this add value? Because I asked it so much as I was letting go of these things, the average American household has 300,000 items of it, so I had to ask this question a lot of times. Does this add value to my life? Does this add value to my life? And as I asked that over and over and over, it no longer became me asking it. It was me feeling does this add value to my life? And I know that sounds weird, especially for a guy who's so analytical for me, but it, it, it becomes an incantation of sorts. Mm. And that incantation then bled over to the new things I brought into my life. Is this going to actually add value to my life? And if it's a big purchase, I tend to put it off for at least 30 days so I can contemplate it. And, and I make sure, so a big purchase for me is generally anything over $250. I'm going to put it off for, for about a month if I can. And unless there's you know, an emergency, if a water heater breaks or something. Well, I just call my landlord if a water heater breaks. <laughs> but uh, you, you get the point. There, there are exceptions to that rule. But for the most part, any large purchase, can I afford it, meaning monetarily, mm. but then can I afford the embedded costs? I've got to take all this time to clean the thing, to put gas in the thing, to change the thing's oil, to wash the thing, to dry the thing, to recharge the thing. And then, of course, it's going to take up my time and my attention. Can I afford all of those other costs that maybe aren't embedded in the price tag? And I have to be honest with myself. Mm. And that's going to help me determine whether or not it's going to add value to my life. And then, yes, when I'm doing research, I will try to source my things from the most ethical companies. You know, the the shirt I'm wearing right now, and I know the shirt you're wearing right now, are both made in America. Now, just because something is made in America doesn't mean it's inherently the best thing either. You you can treat your employees like crap, even though they're Americans, or you can uh, treat your employees great, even though they're overseas. So it's not inherently good or uh, good or evil, or it's not binary. It's not saying yes or no to these things. It's about being intentional with the information that we have in front of us when we're consuming. But, of course, if we buy less stuff, then we have to be more intentional about the things we we continue to bring into our lives. Sean, what else we got? All right, we have somebody here. uh, They say they're starting a site. They have a great message, but it seems like 
no one's listening. So they're curious how you guys grew your site, how you spread your message. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Well, <clears throat> there are a few tips that I always uh, give to people when they're, they're asking about growing a website or growing a blog or whatever it may be. Uh, the first and foremost uh, uh, tip I give is you have to be able to add value. That is the only reason why people come to Josh and I's website is because they get some type of value out of it. Do all 7 billion people in the world get value out of it? No, but enough to, uh, to where we have a decent uh, readership, which is great. The other thing too is Josh and I, uh, the second tip is, you know, put forth your best work. Josh and I go out of our way to make sure that, you know, when we post an essay or if, if we're doing a redesign to the website or with the documentary even, we make sure that it's the absolute best quality that we can put out there. We never forsake quantity over quality. It has, it has to look good. It has to look the best. And you know what? When Josh and I look at stuff from five years ago, you know, sometimes we laugh at ourselves like, wow, like we can't believe we put this out. But at the time, it was the absolute best that we could do. Uh, the third thing is, is be consistent. Like if, if, you, if you have uh, an essay one day that talks about, um, you know, an, a global warming, and then the next essay you're, you're talking about a, you know, a pro-Hillary um, uh, uh, post, I mean, there isn't, there isn't a, um, there's, there's not congruency there. I think that's a, a decent example there, yeah, but you yeah. just, you just don't want to be all over the place. Be consistent. When people go to the minimalists.com, they know what they're going to get. They're mm -hmm. going to get a perspective. They're going to get, uh, either, you know, my recipe or Josh's recipe, and they're going to be able to tweeze ingredients out of it when it comes to our lifestyle, when it comes to minimalism, when it comes to living a simple life. You know, I have seen it time and time again, where I have friends who will have a blog post go viral. Like, let's say they get, you know, 5 million. I've literally seen this where they look at 5 million hits in a day. Um, when they're used to, you know, uh, getting maybe 5,000 hits a month. But then guess what? The next month, they're only getting 5,000 hits because that one blog post that went viral, there's nothing else on their website like that, like that blog post that went viral. So uh, consistency, um, uh, put forth your best work, uh, add value. And then, you know, the fourth one, be unique. You know, find, find something, uh, a spin on something that no one else has out there that you can put on the message you're trying to produce. Like with Josh and I, um, you know, I, I didn't see, hindsight, I can see why uh, we were able to grow a readership in this blogosphere of people. There are thousands and thousands of blogs on minimalism. And why Josh and I, uh, one thing uh, that helped us rise to the top, I guess, is the fact that we had this unique perspective. Like we're two best friends, like we're kind of, you know, journeying life together. We're learning lessons with each other. And there wasn't another perspective out there. So if you can be unique, um, by far be unique. Because people, uh, they want to see a unique per, 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 uh, perspective. That's the word. <laughs> and then the, the I, I just thought of this fifth one. Okay. But now I forgot it. <laughs> <laughs> no, be unique. And um, oh, if I remember, you go. All if right. I remember, I'll tell you. I, I think it was Gandhi who said, be the blog you want to see in the world. <laughs> He said it on Twitter, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or was it uh, uh, be the podcast you want to see in the world? Yeah, yeah. I, anyway, uh, what was interesting for me, I, I spent most of my 20s um, uh, writing literary fiction because I didn't have a very interesting life to, to write about. And I, So I teach a writing class over at howtowritebetter.org. And one of the things that I tell my writing students is that you are simultaneously more interesting and less interesting than you think you are. 
And what does that mean? Well, the reason I write or create something, so podcast, I consider you know, my, my primary form of, of, of creativity to be writing, but also podcasting is, is very similar, and I do it for the same reasons. I want to express myself, and I want to communicate with other people. You have to have both perspectives. If you don't, if you just have the expressive piece, it's like journaling, and that means you think you're more interested than you actually are. But if you're just communicating, like a, a math textbook is, then it is not going to be interesting to create, I don't think. You, know, you don't feel compelled to go on a beach and start reading a calculus textbook unless you're someone who is is a little strange. And if so, I applaud you for that. I love um, calculus. Yeah, but I, I doubt you. I really do. Yeah, I know you do, but you're probably not at the beach with a textbook either. No, that's true. And and, and so you, you love the act of it. And the book is is a, a communication tool. Yeah. And so I think a good blog, a good podcast, a good whatever, does it marries the two equally. You can express yourself and your unique perspective, as you say, but you also realize you're communicating with other people. And the last thing that I'll say is go back and listen to our uh, podcast episode number 42. It's about creating. And I gave 12 different tips for how, how people can grow their audience, how we did it specifically. And if you're looking to start a blog, the other thing that I'll, I'll, I'll point you towards, go to theminimalists.com slash blog. It's exactly the recipe that we use because we couldn't even spell HTML in the onset here. And we finally figured out how to cobble a website together. And in time, we grew our traffic. There was nothing that was viral necessarily. It was a slow burn and allowed us to grow slowly, incrementally yeah. over these last six years. I remembered I got two of them actually. Okay, two number 5A and no, 5B. Number 5A and number 5B. Uh, be genuine. Like people will sniff out uh, if you're not genuine. It is, it is, uh, it's easy in one blog post to maybe, you know, fake who you are and fake it on Instagram and Facebook, but eventually uh, the larger you grow, people are going to be able to see people who are inauthentic. So be genuine up front because uh, it'll bite you later for sure. Um, the other thing I had was be an expert. I almost forgot it, but then I remembered. <laughs> be an expert. Like, what are you an expert in? Uh-huh. Uh, you know, I, I love calculus, but I'm not going to start a blog uh, about uh, about calculus because I'm not an expert in that. Like, when I think of, you know, what, we're, what uh, did Josh and I start The Minimalist on? Like, how are we experts right from the beginning? Well, we were two dudes who, like, lived that corporate life. We were two guys who dove headfirst, put in the hours, bought everything we wanted to do, and we realized, like, wow, this is not what we want, and here's why. And people looked at us as experts because, well, we had that perspective. People could uh, look up to us and know that we had a good handle on what it was like to have to be in that world and what it was like to leave. I think you bring up a really good point there with the, the expertise. We were, in a weird way, we were experts of discontent. Yes. That's what really... a great book title. Wow. Patent pending. <laughs> you can't patent book titles. <laughs> I just did. <laughs> Try to stop me. You, you know what? Uh, we were experts in discontent, and we, we turned our lives around. So we weren't experts in this, this broad sort of minimalism. Like, and even now, like, we're certainly not experts in minimalist literature. Like, yeah, I enjoy Jay McInerney and Laurie Moore and Brett Easton Ellis' literature, but I'm not uh, an expert in Raymond Carver's studies or whatever. Uh, uh, minimalist architecture, minimalist music. Like, the, those are different types of minimalism. They're getting down to the, what is essential in those different crafts, those different art forms. But we were experts of, of discontent. Yeah. And, and then we turned our lives around, so we were 
experts in turning around the discontent and mm-hmm. finding meaning. And so back to Ryan's point, when we were writing stuff on, on the website, we're, we're constantly finding ways to loop in the meaning. And so when Ryan and I wrote about those five values in our life, everything that we, we talk about now tends to l- lead back to our five uh, core values, our higher order values of health, relationships, creativity, or you can call it passion, uh, growth and contribution. Whenever and many of the things we talk or write about, they cover more than one of those topics, and and that that's sort of the beacon by which we 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 steer the ship. Sean, what else we got here? We can do one or two more. Okay. Uh, since you guys actually talked about the creation, they wanted to get a little bit more specific with that. It wondered if you guys journal at all, and if you do journal, if you keep those journals, and what do you use to write with? What tools do you use to write with? <sighs> No, me first. Uh, I don't journal regularly, um, but I do journal. See, Mariah journals. Uh, she started this, um, I don't know, a couple months ago. Um, and I have been kind of catching on, like, if I'm not so tired that I just fall. Because she'll sit in bed and write. And um, if I'm really tired, I'll just fall asleep. But sometimes I'm not. And instead of, like, going to my phone and looking at Facebook or YouTube videos or whatever... I will pull out my phone and I will journal on my iPhone. And I literally have a note right now that's probably 50 pages long. And it just starts with date and then my thoughts and then next date thoughts. And it's just a note that I keep on my iPhone. It's very similar to – it seems like it's very similar to uh, gratitude journaling, mm. which yeah. uh, uh, which I've done before. I've done the five-minute journal before. I don't have a journal practice regularly. And if you're asking what tools we use, uh, I'll tell you this. I'm, I don't really care. Like I, I'm less concerned. I don't care what pencil Stephen King used to – to pin his last book. Do you use pencils to pin books? Um, anyway, but uh, if you're really interested, there are some software programs I use. Uh, so I actually use the, the MemoPad a lot to write on now, uh, MemoPad on, on the computer. So I have a, oh, yeah. a, a MacBook and I have an iPhone, and it, it syncs up between the two of them, and I have an infinite number of notes. Every I have a list of 200, 300 different blog post ideas for different essays and and, and different lists, just, just different things. As soon as the idea comes to me, you better believe it's getting uh, put down in that memo pad. Uh, in terms of, uh, I, I write a lot of things longhand as well. So you can, for those of you watching this on YouTube right now, you can see I've got this little uh, journal here. Uh, but if you're looking for some really good tools, uh, Kevin Rose has a podcast called The Journal, and he interviewed this guy who is this a savant of. Uh, accessible, easy, not easy to find, but relatively easy to find tools for journaling. So if you're really looking for the, the great pen to use or, or the best notebook because for the type of ink you're using, yeah. he talks about it. Uh, last thing I'll talk about is Scrivener. I, on my computer, I use a, a software app called Scrivener, especially for writing books and for longer form essays. It's a great tool for organization and um, I think you can you can just Google that, or if, if we end up putting this up as a podcast, Sean, we can put it in the show notes as well. Scrivener is is a good app to use. Yeah, but you don't need any app. You don't need a special pen. Yeah, you don't need a special piece of paper. Like if you want to write, start writing. If you're waiting on the the right program or the right pen or the right piece of paper, then you'll always be waiting. Yes. Yeah, you'll, you'll never find because you'll find another excuse. I'll tell you this. So so this is along the same lines. Throughout my 20s, Ryan, I was an aspiring writer. And that just means I didn't write very much, guys. Uh, I aspired every single day. I aspired all over the There's page. There was aspiration all over. <laughs> it was disgusting. 
Uh, it was a gross amount of aspiration. Wait, perspiration or... Oh. <laughs> um, is, is, is aspiration a type of perspiration in a particular part of your body? Could be. All right. Anyway, I aspired a lot. And I, but that really meant I wasn't doing the work. I wasn't willing to sit down and drudge through the drudgery, which I realized uh, I would get excited about an idea, but just because I was excited about it, doesn't, that's not real passion. Real passion is being willing to sit down day after day after day, put in the hours required to do the work. It's for writing. I realized I needed to actually start writing. And I always had all these excuses. But the reason I was so aspiring all the time is I would create these these. I didn't call them excuses. It would be a to-do list. Mm. I have to finish folding laundry. I have to make my cup of coffee. I need to have a cup of water. I need to do this and that and this and this. And then once these 15 items are done, then I'll be able to start writing. Well, of course, I'd end up getting to number 13 or 14 two or three hours later, and I didn't have time for writing. Well, my time is up. Guess I'll get to this tomorrow. And the thing about you know putting it off to someday is someday never comes. Someday is always just around the bend. And, and so I realized I need to start doing it today, not someday, turn someday into today. And it didn't matter the tools I had. You have the tools necessary to start creating something meaningful. If you have a phone, you can start recording a podcast. If or you can buy, you know, we have this microphone here in front of us. It's you know a hundred dollar microphone that that we got. It, it it allows us to record podcasts. Our, our friend Rob Bell started his podcast, the Robcast. He borrowed his son's dented microphone. <laughs> And plugged it into his computer. Couldn't even figure out how to do it. So he used QuickTime to record his <laughs> first like 20 podcast yeah. episodes or something. And, and the point is, you don't need all the tools you think you need to get started. You can just get started. And uh, the other thing I'll encourage you to take a look at is to dive deep into is take a look at what Seth Godin writes about creativity. He, mm. he has some, some great stuff out there about getting the work done now, shipping before it's ready, because it's never going to be ready if you're waiting for the thing to be perfect. So Seth Godin has a daily blog that he, he literally puts something out every single day of the year, even on Christmas Day, without fail. And he is a master, a Mozart of blogging. I would encourage you to check that out. A lot of good creative inspiration there. All right, let's do one more, Sean. All right. Uh, one of the viewers wants to know, when you guys are traveling, especially in a really beautiful area mm-hmm. that you go to travel, um, how do you stay present and not view the whole thing through the viewfinder of a, of a camera? Mm-hmm. Yes. Resisting taking pictures of everything. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Well, you know, I am not 100% against taking pictures. Um, I, I do will take a shot here or there. But I will tell you, when the picture is ruining the moment, I will not pick up the phone. And uh, I wish I could say I was like, like I was at Seth's show, mm-hmm. and they opened up with noise, and I'm like trying to get a recording of it, uh-huh. and I couldn't get a recording. And I'm like, what are you doing, dude? You're like totally ruining this moment right now. Yeah. So I like stuck it back in my pocket and didn't get the recording. Um, but uh, but yeah, I, I, we definitely do avoid you know taking a, a slew of pictures that are just going to sit somewhere in the cloud, the magical cloud. Yeah. Um, but I'll tell you what we do. Uh, to get the best out of each city we visit, because we like especially in 2014 we went to 100 different cities. Uh, we will first off look for some really good coffee, so we go way out of our way to find a good coffee shop. And unfortunately, there are some cities that like 
don't have good coffee shops. Here's the cool thing. So I've said that before on a, on a podcast. We were in uh, Regina, Saskatchewan, Canada. <laughs> did we find good coffee there? We did not. Yeah. And uh, I, I said something about it on a podcast. And then, of course, someone sent me a tweet and said, here are the three best coffee shops. And they all looked amazing. Nice. nice. We just couldn't. Yeah, we couldn't find it at the yeah. time for whatever reason. Yeah. So then we'll, we'll so good coffee. We'll go and find a museum, like uh, usually an art museum, The uh, like the science museum's they're like a little too, um, I don't know. Like there's like it's like you You'll know, find a cool one occasionally. Yeah, What's but the, the, the most Salt, Salt Lake that has a really awesome science. It's pretty decent. Yeah, I mean, but usually it's an art museum. Like science museums typically are like geared towards children. They often are, and yeah. they do have some great history and like some good fossils and stuff. But like, uh, yeah, a good art museum. Uh, we will um, find some good Thai food if, mm-hmm. if, if that's around. Mm-hmm. Uh, but typically, that's what we're, what we're looking at. If we got like two days to spend or three days to spend in a place, it's good coffee, uh, uh, good food, and, and a cool museum. The other thing I'll add to that is I'll try to find a good independent bookshop. Uh, it, it, quite often we we're, we're talking at them, so like we don't have to go seek it out. Like we found the good one that we want to go speak at, but. Um, uh, th- those four things that we just mentioned are a great snapshot of a community if you're just going to spend a day or two there. In terms of taking pictures, I did an experiment, I think for a year. I wrote about it in our book, Essential, which is an essay collection. It has 150 essays in there. And, and I think the title of the essay was something like, Why I Don't Take Photos During Vacation. And, and it was really about being present, being in the moment. It was an experiment I did for a while where I refu- anytime I went on a, a vacation or traveling somewhere, I refused to take a, a photo. And then what I learned from that is I also didn't want to deprive myself of taking a snapshot of the moment. I have a good friend of ours, uh, Adam, who is a photographer, and he is a very talented photographer. He took many of our pictures early on for the website, uh, and he he was talking about how he was considering, he was contemplating uh, switching from digital, he had this nice digital camera, take great, takes great pictures, to film, making the switch back to film because it forced him to be more intentional mm. with the photos that he took, right? Yeah. And so as he's snapping shots, he, he realized he could just take one picture, otherwise he's wasting film, so he better get the best picture he can with this. Uh, and it, even if he doesn't, then he has to move on to the next thing. He doesn't want to waste all his film trying to capture the perfect moment. Mm. And I said, well, that's great, but you know, I'm not going to have... Uh, my only camera is my phone I have with right. me. So, but can't I employ that, that same strategy with my phone? And so quite often when I go out... Uh, to a concert, so you, you're mentioning Seth. Seth's a friend of ours who was in a band called Brother Cephas uh, down in Tampa, Florida. And uh, th- you're at their concert. I was actually at their concert, and I took a photo. It was the only photo that I, I took one photo, as if I had a film camera. Mm. I'm just going to take one so I don't waste this. And so even if it's messed up and it has a thumb or it's blurry or whatever, I hold on to it. I was at a Rob Bell event earlier uh, earlier this year, and he was speaking for a very long time. I'm uh, getting toward the middle of it. I'm like, I'm going to snap one photo. And like as I was taking it, someone accidentally bumped the back of my chair. And so the photo is perfectly blurry. And I went ahead and posted it on my Instagram account anyway. You can see it uh, at at Joshua Fields Milburn on Instagram. Uh, And it's a blurry photo. And and I tagged Rob Bell in it because it was like this this interesting sort of... um, he was a blur in the photo, and I did a similar thing. Although the photo tur- didn't uh, didn't turn out as cool because it was an a- accident. I was at a Sam Harris event the year before that, and uh, Sam Harris. So this is interesting. Rob Bell is like this 
religious figure. Sam Harris is the, this uh, prominent atheist, prominent a- atheist <laughs> figure, and I, I find value in both of their their messages. I think we have, all have similar values, by the way. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not particularly religious, but I did the same thing at a Sam Harris event and sort of captured in the. You know, how sometimes you accidentally put your thumb in a picture. Well, there's someone's back of their head was in my picture. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to take another one. I got the one picture I, I said I would try to take, and I've, I've captured the moment. And, I, and that one picture then gave me permission to put the phone away and then be back in the moment mm. and not, not, not try to keep capturing the, the perfect moment. I am going to uh, patent pen a, a phone with a camera on it that takes film. <laughs> do it do it all right y'all that's all we got for this uh, episode of hashtag ask the minimalist live if you have a, a question for us you can find us on twitter and instagram at the minimalist facebook.com slash the minimalist you can also call into our podcast 406-219-7839 sean if you do end up putting this up as a podcast maybe this is where we could paste some voicemail messages uh tips and tricks from some of our our listeners. Hey guys, my name is Kristen. I'm from Charleston, South Carolina. And I just wanted to call in and say that I've been listening to you guys since a little after June of 2013, when at the time my husband and I were living in Colorado Springs, Colorado, and the Black Forest Fire was going on at that time. And the evacuation zone was right across the street from our house. So we were a little concerned that we might have to evacuate. So I had a friend offer to let me store some of my stuff at their house in case we did have to evacuate in a hurry and I wouldn't be scrambling to find somewhere to put all my stuff that was important to me. So I took, you know, the important things like documents, birth certificates, paperwork, and then out of all things that I wanted to have them keep for me were my clothes. And, of course, being a woman, a lot of other women can probably relate to this and the fact that we do hold a lot of value in our clothing and our giant, beautiful wardrobe. Um, but so I took bags and bags of clothes over to my friend's house. And at the time, I actually afterwards, I felt really crazy and kind of embarrassed that that's what I was taking over to their house was just bags of clothes. So, and my husband, of course, thought it was ridiculous, but we did not end up having to evacuate, which was good, Um, and I got all my clothes back, and after that happened, I started researching ways to minimize my wardrobe. I just thought it was ridiculous that I put so much into my clothes and why I, you know, held such value in them. Hey, Josh and Ryan. My name's Abraham. I'm from New Orleans, Louisiana. Uh, I want to leave a comment about um, something that's working for me, and I hope that it works for other people, but I want to let people know. You talk about when you go to a store to buy something, and as soon as that card swipes or as soon as you hand the cashier your money, the feeling of goodness goes away. Well, I want to tell you that when I'm paying off um, me and my wife's debt right now, working extra um, long hours, working hard to be debt-free. And it seems like every single time that I drop a couple extra hundred bucks on the debt that we have, it feels so good, like a relief, like I've actually accomplished something. And I suggest that everybody try it. Take the smallest debt that you have 
try your best to do whatever you can do. If you have to pick up extra um, hours at work to pay it off, pay it off. Um, you know, just take steps towards paying it off, and I guarantee you the feeling of being free from that debt, there's no other feeling that can match it. Hi, this is Mark Sanders from Littleton, Colorado. I just wanted to share a funny story with you for your podcast. I've been working on decluttering for the last about year or so, and I finally, about a week ago, got rid of all of my schedule books from the last 15 years. Uh, it was kind of a challenge for me to do that because I had lots of notes written in there, but things that I didn't really need. So I finally made the decision to do it. And the night before that I was throwing them out outside, the bag broke, and they were all laying there right in front of me again, giving me another chance to bring them back into the house. So sometimes clutter does fight back and doesn't want to go. But I was able to pull myself together and throw them away and haven't missed them at all. All right, that, that is it right now, folks. Uh, if you leave here with one message, we hope it is this. Love people and use things because the opposite never works. Thanks for listening, y'all. We'll see you next time. Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it Every little thing that you gotta have Every little thing that you gotta have You gotta reach for and you gotta grab Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it So take